Good morning, everybody. Um, I had the opportunity to uh, choose my topic this time, and um, for years now, I guess I would put myself in a revivalist category. Um, I've always uh, loved reading about revivals for years and years, and um, I've been in revivals down in Argentina and many, many other places and gone to places where revivals have happened. Um, I've taught revivals at North Central University for many years and um, then uh, actually I'm teaching revivals at the Assemblies of God Theological Seminary in the DMIN program now, which is a joy and a lot of fun for me. So um, I chose this particular topic because I feel like we are really right now on the verge of uh, seeing God move in some special ways, and we are actually seeing it in real life. I mean, it's, it's happening in a number of places. It's, if your ears have been open, you realize about Asbury and all that kind of stuff. Talk about that later, but um, things are going on, and I have, uh, I, I'm speaking in a lot of places, I, we're doing what we're calling Schools of the Spirit with um, the Assistant General Superintendent Rick DeBose and Joe Oden, who's in charge of the Prayer and Evangelism Center. And we're seeing God move in those times and reports of what God is doing in churches um, all over our country. I, I can hardly go a, a day anymore without somebody contacting me. I know a lot of pastors in a lot of places, and um, they will just write and say, we had, you know, 25 people saved, or we had 300 people saved, or, you know, today. And, and so I believe that there are some new things that are happening in relationship to what God is doing and what he wants to do next. So I put together um, two parts to this. The first section will go up to 11, and then we'll take a 15-minute break and then I'll do the second part. They're entirely different um, parts, so um, I'm glad you're here in this first one because it'll be um, the, the basis from which I'll speak in the second one. Um, but the first part is actually going to be on our own preparation for a move of God. Uh, because I think if this is what God is doing, we want to get ready. Um, we, we want, we, you know, the big question for us should be, what does this mean for me? You know, what do I do individually? And what do I do in my leadership in the church? Um, how do I participate in what God is wanting to do? So this whole first section will explore um, what is revival, what is spiritual awakening, and what do I do? How do I prepare for this? And how do I lead out um, preparation of other people in, in the church to be ready for what God wants to do. The second section um, will actually be on how to facilitate a revival and how to discern what is of God and what is not. So that's going to get into some of the more nitty-gritty. So I'm really glad I get two hours with you. I'm actually thrilled. And um, I just wanted to mention before I move into this that there is, that's scary, I just pushed my slide and nothing is moving. <laughs> hmm, okay, there we go. Um, 
I wanted to mention that I have a couple of books. Those who have followed along with me um, know that I had a book called Catch the Wind of the Spirit. Last year when I did a session here, I mentioned that it was just going into a reprint and um, that reprint is finished. It's actually a revised version. It has some updates in it and uh, a brand new cover, which I love. There's a story on this, but um, I, I won't bore you. But if you've read the book, it's on the th first part starts on coracles. And I actually found a guy who built his own coracles in Ireland. And it fell into my lap the day I was supposed to figure out what I was going to do with a cover. Don't you just love what God does? I mean, it's so cool. And the other um, book that I put together is called Keys to the Apostolic and Prophetic, um, Embracing the Authentic and Avoiding the Bazaar. <laughs> and uh, I talked about those two areas, and um, we, I, I actually co-wrote it with uh, Joe Girdler, who is the superintendent of Kentucky, and he is an amazing guy. And he uh, did his doctoral dissertation on the apostolicity of Assemblies of God superintendents. So th those two books, I just um, we threw some into a box. My husband's in, this, in the red shirt, clear over there. And uh, we're going to sell them at a low price today if you're interested in them. And that's enough of that. Okay, um, I also wanted to give you my email address because I have discovered that when I teach, one of the things that people are constantly doing are getting their phones out and taking pictures of the slides, which drives me up a wall. <laughs> anyway, so to help you out, I'm only kind of kidding. Um, <laughs> to help you out, uh, I, I will send you both of my um, uh, presentations from my... Uh, emails, I mean, by email. So if you contact me at this email address, I'll actually send you all of the slides that I'm doing today. And I've filled up the slides with basically notes. So you can go back and you don't even have to. You might want to have some things that you write down. I don't know. But, you know, most of what I'm, I'm saying is going to be on the slides. So you have an actual copy of that if you want it, if you get a hold of me. So there it is. Now, let me get into this topic. Um, Psalms 85, 6 has an interesting verse. It says, will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? So even in the Psalms, we see um, that, that early in the Old Testament, we see this cry of people's hearts for um, revival, a, a cry that God would... Um, would take care of the things that we need. And I was interested in what um, Dr. Alfaro had to say today because I, she was pointing out the fact that sometimes uh, we just, we need to kind of like pick it up again, <laughs> you know? We, we, we need to get back with it. We need to have hope. We need to get our fire back. And that really is the basis for revival. And so you see, there's many scriptures about revival throughout, um, throughout the Bible, but you will see that there is this cry that people have because we just tend to, to need to continue to say, I'm going to live strong for the Lord. 
you know, it's, it's easy to just kind of fall back and take an easy path. It's the way we humans are. So this cry out is so important. There needs to be um, a genuine revival. And there are many things that we have called revival traditionally that I wouldn't put in a revival category. In other words, I, I don't think, sometimes we term things revival, we're having a revival at the church, and it's a couple of days of special meetings. But I don't call that a real revival. It's a good time, and I think we should have those kinds of things. I'm not at all putting down the idea, but it's not a real revival because a real revival, a true revival, always, always involves a sovereign move of God. And it's not just the work of human beings. You and I can't decide we're going to have a revival. <laughs> Someone can't say to you, I'll come in and I'll do, you know, I'll, you will have a revival. We can't say that because true revival is a sovereign work of God. He is the one that sends it. He is the one that does the work. He is the prime mover. He is the administrator of the revival, and he's the initiator of the revival. So we are looking for a, 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 a true revival. We're looking for a work of God in our midst, something that the Lord himself brings to us, and not something we try to whip up ourselves. It, it has to be something from God himself. Now, throughout all of history, and I'm a student of um, revival history, I've read on tons and tons of revival. Um, I could keep you here for a whole week, because remember, I teach a seminary class on this in the doctoral program, so they spend a whole week on it, and I'm not, still not finished, you know, when I'm done, so. <laughs> and, uh, but the, you look at all the many, many, many revivals that have happened, and historically, God has always sent a revival when a crisis exists among his people and in society. Um, the, the history is so interesting because it's like, man, we need God to do something, you know? It, society is a wreck. Um, sin is a wreck. Uh, the church is lethargic and apathetic to a certain extent. We need God. And, and, you know, I think that we have to just think through this and say, am I that hungry? A am I really that hungry to see God do a work in our midst? Do I really want that? O or am I just kind of like, well, whatever happens today happens today? You know, w with that kind of an idea, we're not prepared for revival, basically. <laughs> We have to have more of a fervency, more of a hunger, more of a fire for what God wants to do for us. And, and if you have any question about where the world is at, um, you know, you're, you're, I'm sorry, but are you living in a bubble or a vacuum somewhere, you know? I, I, I just, you turn on the news or you pick up a newspaper or you, I mean... No, whichever way you turn, we're in trouble. This society desperately needs a move of God. They need to have their eyes opened into who God is. So it, historically, the social ills, when revival comes, social ills are at their worst 
the world has slipped into a state of godliness, resulting in moral decay and national degeneration. And we've got that right now. I mean, you, I, I could spend the rest of the time giving examples, but like, why? So, I mean, we know this. The church is not as effective as it should be in these circumstances, and many believers have fallen into a state of stagnation and dormancy. They kind of fall along with society. They're sort of like, well, whatever, we'll just do another Sunday. You know, and, and I'm talking about the church in general. When, I'm, when I am talking about the church, I'm talking about the church with a big C, not just necessarily hounding on the assemblies of God or anything else, but I, I, we're part of it sometimes. I mean, you know, I, I know me. <laughs> I know us. I know human beings. I know how easy it is to get lethargic. The spiritual condition of the people of God is in evident decline with a lamp of his word burning low in the land. Their voice isn't being heard societally as it should. And whenever such circumstances historically have existed and people have called out in desperation, God has intervened with revival. Praise God. Praise the Lord that he helps us out. Because things get so bad sometimes and we just sit there and go, I, I don't know what to do anymore. I, I, I don't know how to come against this. It, it feels like I'm ineffectual. I can preach my heart out and people aren't getting it. Even my church people aren't getting it. The society isn't getting it. I need God to move. And that is the basis of our hunger for a revival. Now, you might ask the question, well, she's using this word revival, but what does revival even mean? The word revival actually stems from two Latin words, vivere, meaning to live, and also re, meaning again. So basically, revival means to live again. It's not a Greek word, it's a, from a Latin root, and that's okay, um, but the whole idea is to to live once again. So what does that indicate? It indicates that somewhere along the line, we were about ready to die, <laughs> right? You know, it, it, we have to have something happen to us so that we can live again. I look at this as um, kind of like a defibrillator. Um, revival is action that God takes when a spiritual awakening is necessary and the church must come to life again so God's work can advance. And if you think about it as a defibrillator, um, it's kind of being used on a person's heart. You know, I mean, the person's about ready to die, you give them the paddles and it wakes them up. Um, and, and I think, however, that God's preference would be for us not to descend into that state in the first place. You know, I, I, I don't know as revival is God's best. It's not like, well, I just wish everybody would almost die so that I can come in and move. <laughs> no, no, I don't think so. That's what God wants. Um, you know, he wants us to stay vived. He wants us to stay alive. His best for us is to keep Bible. 
Not the again part, just the Bible part. <laughs> he, he wants us to be alive. Now, when, though, we are about ready to die, I'm glad we get the paddles. Um, revival renews love for God and others. It convicts people of personal and corporate sin. And it draws the believer out of spiritual indifference and worldliness into a greater holiness. And the fruit of the Spirit multiplies in people's lives during a revival. So they change. They're different people than when they started out. Revival brings people back to the condition they should have been in all along, <laughs> resulting in lasting transformation, not just a brief experience. So in other words, it's not a one-night time at an altar. It's something that has permanently shifted us, permanently changed us. Now, there are many spiritual um, awakenings that have happened in society. And so you might um, say, well, what is the difference? You've probably heard the term spiritual awakening and the term revival. So what is the difference between those two terms? Well, a lot of people actually, I think, use these terms wrongly because they will call a spiritual they will label what is a revival as a spiritual awakening. But I see them as two distinct things. And historically, this is the proper way of looking at this definition. When believers are renewed in a revival, they desire more of Christ and his word, they participate in joyful worship, and they evidence greater boldness in witness, including a fresh dedication to missions and a ministry. Now, at this point, because they're interested in missions and ministry in a new and fresh way because of the fact that they've been revived, at that point, the revival moves out of the church into the region, and it begins to affect the public in general. And this spread of the revived church into society is often referred to as a spiritual awakening. So now, a revival, make, this makes sense, it's for the church because the church, they're, they're made up of Christians, right? And, and they should be alive already, but the society, they're, they're dead in their trespasses and sin, correct? So you can't revive, you can't bring to life again the general society. Got it? You, you've got to bring alive the church. They're the ones that need to be revived. The church is the revived ones. But they wake up and it can't help but start to affect society in general. And this spiritual awakening is powerful. God began, begins to move not only to revive the church, but also to change the world. And if there is a reason that we want revival, it should be that it'll change us so that we can more effectively change the world. It, there's a reason for us being changed. It's not just so we can have a nice experience and get goosebumps. It's got to be so we can go out and, and be more effective witnesses in the world. So God can do his work to change society. 
And, and you know, if we're lethargic about revival, what we're basically saying is, I really don't care about changing society. We have to say, God, I want this church as alive as it possibly can be so that they can all be effective and change the world around us. I want God to move out there. I want this society to become different. I want something to shift this thing. And if we're not burdened in prayer over that, we better get there. Because who else is going to pray? Society, finally, when this starts going on and, and the church gets awake, society begins to awaken out of its spiritual apathy. And it pays attention to the one true God. And right now, we have a society that is definitely spiritually apathetic. It doesn't care. It, it doesn't care a bit about what's going on. They just keep moving along in their sin. And something has to shake them out of this. Something has to wake them up. And when the church is truly revived by the Spirit of God, and it's a true move of God, believers will find ways through the power of the Holy Spirit. We're Pentecostal after all. To make a difference in the world today. Now the effects of past spiritual awakenings have been amazing. In past spiritual awakenings, multitudes were con converted. And I mean like thousands. I don't think we're ready for this. I don't think we're prepared to take the kinds of, of numbers of conversions that occur quickly and rapidly in, through a real revival as the church moves out into society. It's huge. And, you know, people say, well, I'm praying for revival. I hear that all over when I preach and speak on this. And, and I'll say, well, what are you doing about it? Like, like, how many, how many cards do you have for first-time visitors? Because in one Sunday, the Spirit can be moving in such a way, this has happened historically, that th hundreds of people come into your church. The Spirit draws them, they pull into your parking lot, they'll get saved. Do you have any means of follow-up? Do you have any means of helping them grow? Do you have any means of, like, <laughs> discipling them? Now, in these spiritual awakenings that have occurred, social reform resulted and morality entirely shifted, with people confessing and then separating from sin. For example, bars shut down. I mean, nobody went. So the bars just shut down. Like in Wales, you couldn't find a bar open when the Welsh Revival occurred. Crime dropped considerably. Do you know that in the Welsh Revival, <laughs> they actually gave white gloves to the judges 
because they signifying that there was nothing they had to do. There was, there was no crime. There was nobody to try. People made restitution for money and goods they had stolen. Chinese revival was like this. It was incredible. The people just started like giving back anything that they had ever stolen, anything that they had ever accidentally kept. I mean, that would be amazing, wouldn't it? <laughs> you got robbed once and robber gets saved and brings it back to you. Those living got remarried, got married. They were living together, but they got married. Um, all kinds of things. I mean, I could go on and on about this. There was significant, a significant shift in the morality of society. Idols were destroyed, including whatever came between individuals and their holy God. Because idols can be anything. It doesn't have to be a Buddha. <laughs> whatever stands between you and God is taking your time, is taking your focus, your attention, your love. That's an idol. Believers became concerned about justice issues, working to set systems straight which were unbiblical and created harm. The churches swelled in attendance as people flocked to be discipled and worship God together. Now, I don't have time to go into all of these, but um, if you ask for my PowerPoint, you can get the copies here of some of these revivals. These are just a few of the revivals that I have listed in the Old Testament. And if you look at this, revival has always happened, always. It, it's, there's revivals in the Old Testament, there's revivals in the New Testament, there's revivals historically starting from the early church on. God would move in whenever it was necessary. And it's incredible to see this. And if you look with revival eyes at some of these verses, you'll go, oh, I see. I see the, you know, aspects of revival that are, are right here in the Old Testament. Actually, one of the best New Testament revivals was the day of Pentecost. <laughs> The early church lived in continuous revival with the gifts of the Spirit in operation, signs and wonders going on, believers testifying and witnessing, and the church swelling in numbers rapidly and a spiritually awakening, definitely shifting things societally. For example, at Pentecost, 3,000 were one in one day. I mean, what did they do with those folks? <laughs> Baptized them and let them go? I mean, there had to be teaching. There had to be, they had to join a fellowship. The churches had to start. Soon after, there were 5,000 who were saved, chapter 4, 4, followed by great multitudes, and those are all listed there. I mean, it just, it was, there was a flood as the church swelled in numbers. Along with lots of other early revivals at the turn of the 1900s, the Assemblies of God movement was actually birthed in revival at Azusa Street Mission in Los Angeles in 1906. And some of you, I think most of you have probably heard of Azusa Street. And so I won't go into a lot of things on this, but you know, did you know that so many missionaries went out from Azusa during the first two years that the revival 
the Pentecostal revival actually spread to over 50 nations. That's incredible when you think about it. The Azusa Street revival evidenced all the aspects of revival, worship, repentance, speaking in tongues through the baptism of the Holy Spirit, healings, and many other spiritual gifts, and especially the strong presence of the Lord. In fact, it was said that when people would be walking up to um, the Azusa Street Mission, they could um, sense the Spirit of God and the presence of God so strong that they stopped, and many of them fell down on the sidewalk in the presence of God, falling out in the Spirit, because God's presence was so strong before they even got inside the mission. In 1914, the AGs held their first organizational meeting and other Pentecostal groups formed from Azusa Street. And it spread basically all over the world. I mean, I don't have time to go into this, but there were a Pentecostal churches in Sweden and in Africa and in Europe and, and especially in England. And it, it just the, the Pentecostal word um, it, it just, it was everywhere. It, it, it just spread out. And God did a mighty spiritual awakening out of the Azusa Street Revival. Now, there are so many revivals throughout history. To make a list of revivals would um, take so much space because um, God moved regularly all around the world, including, and these are just a few of them, Italy, Switzerland, Germany, Wales, Britain, Scotland, Ireland, Scandinavia, India, China, Australia, Africa, Korea, Jamaica, um, and Canada, Argentina, and the United States, to just name a few. Uh, the revival history is rich. Sometimes we've heard about just a few of them, and we don't realize that it kept coming up over and over and over. It hit countries all over the world. And I expect, I believe this is prophetic, I expect that God is going to bring a last great day's revival. I expect to see it, and I expect to see it pretty soon. We're, we're needing it. It's time. If you look at the cyclical history of revival, when things are down, God comes and moves. Things are down, we're due for a revival. <laughs> it's just the way he does it. But we need to prepare. Now, on February 8th, 2023, there was a revival at Asbury University in Kentucky, which I imagine that um, most of you paid attention to. This was definitely a true revival. It was, um, the, the kids went to a chapel, uh, most of them left, uh, a few of them stayed to press in in prayer. That's one of the things that often starts revival. And the next thing you know, you had a revival that lasted for days and brought about 150,000 to 200,000 people into the tiny, tiny town of Asbury. If you've never seen it, I have. It's a small town. I, they don't even have a hotel. They have a couple restaurants. I mean, the town hosted this because you, can you imagine that many thousands of people coming from all over the world into that place? And, and I will say that Asbury did a fantastic job of taking care and, and stewarding this particular revival. The students um, felt the presence of the Lord and came back into chapel, and the presence of God was so strong. The Lord was convicting the students. They were 
um, repenting, they were getting right with each other on things that they had been holding um, together. There was no big star in this whatsoever. They stewarded so wonderfully. Um, different people came and presented worship, but those people were prayed over. You probably didn't even know this. For, for over an hour, sometimes two, until they were ready to go on stage and take a, be in worship, lead in worship. There were people who prayed. It was, it was a sovereign move of God, and God was in charge. So we have the elements of a revival. This was an incredible time and lasted for a few weeks and continues to go on amongst them and amongst many other college students. In actuality, um, there's a, a parent that I know from our district here whose girl is there, and she's on one of the new teams that's going out to present what happened, I mean, to talk about what happened to colleges all over the country who are wanting to hear the witness and the testimonies of the kids who were in this. And so we, right after that, things started to happen in many, many churches. We need to be encouraged because God's at work. Um, God is bringing people in. There's a sovereign move going on in, in just all over the place. And it, it's small places and it's big places. I mean, it doesn't matter the size. I don't care whether you're in a cornfield or you're in a big city. I don't care. God can reach you. That's historical too. Now, I want to point out that each revival is unique. All of the revivals and spiritual awakenings in history have been unique, and we should remember that God very often does new things. Um, I've had some people that I've heard say, well, that's not a revival. God's never done that before. Hello? <laughs> so what about those verses in Scripture that says, behold, I will do a new thing? You know, I mean, like, he's God. <laughs> if he wants to do something new, let him do something new. It's like, I've never seen this before. It's like. I'm sorry I get like this sometimes. And we don't. You know, our creative God can function. He doesn't have to function in the same way as he has in the past. But that being said, there are some commonalities to revivals. There are still certain factors that seem to happen over and over again, including prayer. Prayer is one of the main paths for revival. God moves upon a person or group to seek him and cry out on behalf of society, the church, and their own personal needs. First Chronicles 7.14 states, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Historically, this verse appears to be God's pattern preceding revival. This is what should be happening inside of our churches to prepare for revival. We ourselves need to do this to prepare for revival. If we have not prepared ourselves properly, then we are, when revival comes, we're going to be 
in the midst of personally being revived when we should be leading. You got that, right? Because that's really important. I mean, we, we need to stay vibed. We, we need to go through the process that it talks about in 1 Chronicles 7.14. This is how we prepare for a revival. This is how we prepare our church people for a revival, too. Now, the believers, this is from this verse. Let me just unpack it a tad. The believers are my people, right? So my people are us. The church are us. Toys are us. They call upon the name of the Lord, knowing how great he is and that he wants to help us. They humble themselves, giving up prideful thinking that they are capable of fixing and accomplishing everything themselves. Let me just stop there, friends. We will not have a revival till we come to the end of ourselves. Seriously. If we think we can do it ourselves, then we're not going to seek God that he will do it for us. But I'm telling you, we are not capable of what we need to do in society right now. We can't do it. Let us come to the place of saying, I am incapable. <laughs> it's right where God wants us to be. It's where, where revival takes us. He wants us to say, are you through trying? And will you turn the reins over to me? Will you let me do what I want to do? And, and I think, friends, we just have to say, hey, I can't fix this myself. I can't, I can't fix my church even. I can't bring them alive like they should be. I keep trying. God appreciates our trying. But boy, do we need God. <coughs> We need revival. We need his help so much. The believers pray. They listen to God. They seek his face looking for what he desires, such as the timing and means by which revival will occur. And this is very important. You know, all the revivals historically started with prayer. It, it, it's usually a small group or even one person. But it's somebody who's digging in and saying, God, I, I, want, I want to see your face. I, I, I just want to, I, I don't want things from your hands. I, I don't want to just keep asking, will you give me, give me, give me. I, I want to look at you. I, I want to see your face. I want to see who you are. I want to see what you want. And in that prayer, it's, it's not just an ask, ask, ask. It's a, God, show me what you want. Show me what you're going to do. <coughs> Get me ready. Lead me. Prepare me to be ready for this. And finally, the believers repent and turn from their wicked ways. And then, when these conditions have all been accomplished from our end, then God promises that he will hear from heaven. 
we have to align our hearts with the Lord as we prepare for revival. We must come back to him in complete obedience and trust. And then he will hear our cries and graciously he will heal both our sin and our land. This is a dynamic promise full of hope as we rely on the Father himself to send revival for ourselves personally, for our churches as a whole, and then a spiritual awakening for our whole society. Since God has regularly and strategically brought revival to his people, we can expect to have it happen again. Our task is to get ready, since when God chooses to move, events often occur swiftly, and thousands may be swept into the kingdom in a short time span. Believers themselves should prepare personally, stepping into their place in the body of Christ and taking part in the church's labors of bringing in the lost. Now, to prepare for a revival in our church, I've talked about how to prepare personally and in our leadership, but to prepare for a revival in our church, it would be wise for each church to determine how they would minister to a sudden influx of new believers touched in a great spiritual awakening because there's a lot of work to do. I already touched on this briefly, but let me just say, um, here's some questions. Remember those 100 people that I said might get saved some Sunday? That's probably low, by the way. Um, seriously, I mean, sometimes whole communities have come to Christ in revivals like all at once. It's just... Oh, go figure that out. What would you do? Um, but how can, how can you follow up with those people? Because I'll tell you one thing. Your next service, they're going to bring their families and friends. And so the next time you meet, you could have another 300, 400 people. You now have maybe 500 people to disciple. Like, do you have that in place? Do you have teachers who are ready to do that? Do you have a plan for taking that many new believers and helping them be discipled and grow? Here's another question. Physically, how will the building and your parking handle the crowds? Do you have a plan for that? Do you know, can you switch out almost immediately into more services, all of that kind of stuff? How can you have those extra services? And how are you going to have the prayer meetings? Because people will actually come to prayer meetings. In fact, you know, in, in the um, Hebriding revival, the Hebrides and the Hebrides in Scotland, they actually said that anybody who didn't come to the prayer meeting, it was a doubted conversion. I like that. that that's a good plan. So are there enough spiritually astute believers so the leadership can be shared and deep exhaustion does not occur? Because one person cannot handle all of the stuff that goes on in revival. And part of the problems in historical revivals have been that people have burned out because they didn't have a plan for other types of leaders to step in and take the load and, or they didn't want it done. That's stupid. But anyway, who who are the teachers and the mature workers who can help with a large influx of newly saved people needing discipleship? And are we prepared to deal with issues of brokenness and immorality in lives previously battered by sin? Because you're going to get everything. You'll get transgender. You'll get people who have just been 
hooked on drugs, you're going to get alcoholism. What are you going to do? Are you prepared for that? I think we've got this, like, idea that revival, oh, that's going to be nice. <laughs> we got to wake up. I mean, I, I, I am getting more and more urgent with this message. <laughs> I've been saying this for a long time, but I'm telling you, I'm getting urgent because it's going to come, and we are going to, oh, well, now what do we do? Are the gifts in operation now? Where are the pastors, teachers, evangelists, and those working in the prophetic and apostolic? Since these united teams are always called out by God to address the various aspects of revival, I can go through history for you and say, here's your fivefold. Working, do you know who they are? Do you have them prepared to help out in their individual areas? Are believers prepared to move in the spiritual gifts, including healings, word of knowledge, word of um, wisdom, prophecy, tongues, interpretation, miracles, faith, and discerning um, of spirits. Now, it, you know, the, the gifts need to move when people get saved, and, the, and they need to be ministered to in the body. And that's what happened at the revivals, like Azusa Street. The gifts were totally in operation through regular people. So, so we need to teach our congregation to be ready for them all to move from the Spirit. I remember being at one revival. I was sitting on, in a chair here. There was a chair up against the wall because the place was so packed that the parishioners were sitting around the outside. And that guy started to pray. He prayed such a prophetic prayer that I started to weep because it was exactly for me. And he was a layperson. It wasn't a pastor. And, and, and that was, wow, that facilitated what happened in me in revival that day. Regular people, all of these will be important as the spirit moves in true revival. Historical revivals provide eight indicators of true revival. This is my last part here. Let me run through them one at a time. I'm not going to take time to teach a whole lot, although I wish I had more time. But one of them is, one indicator of true revival is that it's unique. Revival is an act of God <coughs> where he chooses the timing, the place, the results, and the emphases. Some revivals are visited by various works of the Spirit, such as healing, deep contrition, worship, reconciliation with God and their neighbor, and baptism in the Holy Spirit. We should pursue the typical, celebrate the unique, and not quench the Spirit. Do you like that line? Yes. We should pursue the typical, celebrate the unique, and not quench the Spirit. Now, you know, various emphases happen for different times. I don't know what God's going to do in this next one. Um, actually, it may be a, it may really come flooding out of the young people. We'll see where this goes with, with Asbury and some of the things that are happening among young people right now. I wouldn't be surprised. I've heard that prophesied also by other people, but we'll, we'll see what God does. But there's been healing revivals. There's been um, revivals of deep repentance. There's been revivals where worship is really strong. 
Um, there's, there's so many different ways that God moves depending on where society is at and what is needed at that particular time. So we can allow him to have differentiations in these things, in how he is working, how he is doing things. And God help us not to just like shut those things down and say, well, it shouldn't be that way because it's not this. It's like, I'm sorry, I'm not going to talk against God like that, <laughs> you know. Um, but we should be discerning. That's, I'll talk about that next session. Okay, th two, it should be God-centered. The revival centers on God and not on human personalities, though he does choose to use people. But the prime person in a revival should not be like everybody, he's, he's the one that everybody is looking for. Do you know that in the Welch revival, um, Evans, uh, Evan Roberts, he um, actually uh, would not tell, he wouldn't take any, like if a church called and said, will you come and speak? And he'd turn it down, but he might show up. He might show up there at the meeting and sit in the back he quietly entered later, so nobody really knew he was there. He'd sit in the back and sense what God was doing with those people. And then sometimes, if he felt led, he would step up and be a part and help facilitate the thing. But he was not going to go as the chief cook and bottle washer, if you will. You know, he, he wasn't going to like the big guy's here, so now we can have revival. He, he wouldn't let it happen. And we don't want to have revival center on human personalities. Get out of the way. Facilitate, lead, I'll talk about that later, but let God be at the center. Let God be the one that is raised up. Let people see him and not you or anybody else. Still, those being used humbly recede into the background as the Lord himself is magnified. This is not a time to control God's flow, but to step into it and receive from him. Purity, holiness, and love emanate from God, resulting in reverence and worship. Third um, commonality of real revivals. The manifest presence of God is there. I mean, God himself, you just sense his presence because God is the one who's just changing lives, and we want his presence it, seek him, seek his face so that you can bring the presence of God into, into church with you so that you have that anointing of God's presence. That's why we need to pray. <laughs> you know, we need it. We, we, we need to know what does God want us to do? What does God want us to say? We need to come in with the presence of God upon us. <coughs> and that has to happen in revival. God is powerfully at work in people's lives. He's the one who's doing the convicting. He's transforming. He's refocusing priorities. He's growing the fruit of the Spirit in people. He's building character, healing, and changing us. And hungry people wait on God as he directs. Jesus is exalted. The Holy Spirit is allowed to move. And the work is both deep and wide. We need to leave revival up to God. And, and remember, I said, come to the end of ourselves. It's like, revival will happen without us. We don't have to organize it. We don't have to structure it. We don't have to put 
the Holy Spirit in a box. Let God flow in your midst. Be so comfortable with him, you know when it's him and when it's not. Repentance. People respond to the presence of God by repenting, confessing, bending their will to his, turning from their sin, and seeking the fullness of his spirit. They submit in obedience to his authority in all areas, coming alive to God's kingdom work in fresh ways and being formed anew. Fifth one. They're aligned with the word of God. Everything that happens should elevate the authority of God's word. The Bible is read and love for it increases. I think I'm going to take a quick story here. Um, I was at a revival that actually Clarence St. John asked me to sort. Um, it was up in Canada. I won't go any farther than that. But let me just say that I picked up a, uh, a, a pamphlet by one of the pastors at this particular church in their bookstore. And it said, the lion um, will roar, who will but fear? And so I said, well, this is weird, because just the other night, <laughs> there was somebody who actually roared like a lion in the service, which I would have stopped immediately, but that's not what happened. Anyway, um, the, the situation um, with that pamphlet was scary, because the person said, God always gives me a revelation and a verse for the next year, and this is the one he gave me. And now this revival has broken out. So um, the Lion of Judah has roared, you know, in this revival. And I'm waiting, I'm going, wait a minute here. That's not the context for that. And I went back and looked at that verse and what it really is talking about, where the lion has roared, who will but fear, is it goes on to talk about the remnant of, of the Jews and that the lion would eat up all of them and leave the tail and the ear. In other words, it was a negative prophecy. <laughs> and, and, I, and I went, I looked at it again. I, th I said, you know, I looked it up because I thought, am I wrong on my memory of that? But no, it was. It was a negative prophecy. And he had taken it out of context and used it as a positive prophecy. If I had gotten that word for the year, I would have said, we're in trouble. Satan's going to try to do some things here that we better discern. We can't, we have to keep the word front and center in revival. We have to, and we have to know it. And we have to know it at the spur of the moment when the stuff is going on so we can say that's not right. That's not it. That's not according to scripture. Prayer is another one. Expectant prayer is the hallmark which precedes and accompanies every revival. Revival prayers become less casual and more desperate, opening up fresh paths for God's surprising work. People hear from the Lord and he leads them in how to respond as the Spirit guides the revival. Intercession for the lost abounds. Seventh one, salvations is another hallmark of revival. God leads transformed believers to witness as they spread the word of his love, grace, and forgiveness. The Spirit continues to convict in society and multiple people are brought together into the body of Christ from various ethnic groups, cultures, economic conditions, ages, occupations, and geographical areas. It's for everybody. The testimonies of changed lives attract people to the church and hundreds, even thousands, find salvation. 
And finally, people are called into the ministry. He calls multiple people, missionaries, pastors, teachers, prophetic voices, and evangelists go forth to strengthen and advance the church. And the last thing here, when we see this work of God occurring in our midst, we should welcome and nourish what God is doing. We should not put out a healthy fire just because we might feel a little uncomfortable or not be sure what to do. The desire for personal preferences and different approaches and old patterns should not be the cause of contempt. Wisdom dictates that we never criticize a true move of God or we might find ourselves fighting against the Lord himself. Okay, I hope this was helpful for you.